Hello, this is Mr. Galley from GCSE English Revision Pod with a quick message for you. If you want even more English Revision Pod in your ears, you can now subscribe to our premium service, GCSE English Revision Pod Plus, where for the price of just over £2 a month, on top of all the amazing free episodes, which will continue to be free and there for you to use, you can also get a selection of amazing bonus episodes on things like Macbeth, A Christmas Carol, Romeo and Juliet, and all your favourite topics covered in the depth and detail that you are used to. If you are interested in getting even more GCSE English Revision Pod, all you've got to do is click the link at the top of this episode description, where you can subscribe to GCSE. English Revision Pod Plus. Hello and welcome to your festive edition of GCSE English Revision Pod. I am joined over the airwaves by the one and only Mr. Forster. Happy Christmas. Happy Christmas, Mr. Galley. I th- how is your how, go on, how has your festive period been? Yeah, lovely. As I said, my, my son's become totally obsessed with presents now to the extent that he now woke up this morning asking for more presents um (laughs) but yeah it's been really lovely yourself yeah it's uh it's been fantastic uh i went in the went in the sea on christmas day as ever which was which was freezing cold but it's important important to follow traditions you weren't steeped in blood too far were you it was definitely the sea it was definitely the sea, although I uh, I see where you're guiding us with that comment because uh, today the focus of today's GCSE English Revision Pod is of course Macbeth, Fantastic. and we're looking actually at morality because Mr. Galley is famously quite an immoral man, um, <laughs> so we thought actually this would be a good opportunity to juxtapose Macbeth as this pinnacle of morality with Mr. Galley's true evil. So I can look at, um, I can reflect a little bit and use this podcast as a sort of healing space as well as yeah. hopefully a, a revision resource for our dear listeners. I mean, yeah. it sounds it sounds like a win-win situation, which was, of course, how Macbeth saw the act of killing Duncan initially, right? Yeah. I mean, well, to, to, I, ch- I chose this question because actually we had an email from one of our listeners who requested a question on good and evil. Right. Okay. So you've condensed that all down into morality. Yeah, well, I thought actually with most of our podcasts, we're trying to get ones that we can use for a variety of different questions, because obviously the chance of the exact extract coming up in the exam are very, very low. So it's always the way we the best way to use these podcasts is actually to look at how we structure them and think, how could you adapt it for different questions that would come up? Exactly. So today's podcast about morality could be very easily tweaked into a question about good and evil, could be easily tweaked into a question about decisions or consequences, could be easily tweaked into a essay about um, Macbeth or Lady Macbeth. There's a yep. there's a lot that could be done with, um, as you say, by thinking about how one theme can be applied to other questions yeah and as always the most important thing we hope that you learn from listening to our podcast is stretching your vocabulary and looking at ways of structuring an essay that you are going to be writing in the exam fantastic all right why don't you jump in with the question for us then yeah so before we get to the question the extract is from act two scene one so moments before Macbeth murders Duncan and commits regicide off stage Mm. um And it's this final soliloquy when he sees this dagger, he hallucinates and sees this dagger before him pointing the way towards Duncan's chamber, um, taking him towards this act, this 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 culminating act of um, of the start of the play. Right. Okay. the so we thought. 
the key moment perhaps in the play then one of the most famous moments and yeah arguably the most dagger? important moment yeah so it's the is is this a dagger which i see before me and so if you haven't yet downloaded it i would encourage you dear listener to go to the buy of the episode now click on the link um, and download the handout for this episode which contains all the key vocabulary it contains the question and it contains an essay plan exactly go there now go to the whichever podcast app you're listening on go to the description of this episode underneath the play button and download that handout see you in a moment welcome back Hello. I mean, we won't see them because this is a podcast, Mr. Galley. Um, a bit, bit creepy if we could see them. But um, the question, <laughs> the question here um, we're looking at, starting with this exchange, explore how Shakespeare presents morality in Macbeth. Right. So we're looking at morality. So the first question, whenever you get a question, the first thing you've got to do is work out what exactly is the question asking you? Um, and so the, the key words in this question, obviously, are both starting with this exchange, because that kind of gives us a clue as to how to structure our essay, but yeah. also this idea of morality. What is morality? Yeah, I mean, I mean that, is a, that is a key thing to identify, particularly with this question, is what does morality mean? How would you put morality into your own words? Yeah, so morality, obviously, is knowledge of, of good and evil. But I think the, the slight distinction we need to make here is both looking at Macbeth's morality, but also looking at the morality of the play. Does the play have a moral message? Is it teaching us something? Does it have a what we might call a didactic message, mm-hmm. a message that uh, I put that on the handout that's teaching us something? Is it a moral play or is it a play that's kind of glorifying regicide, that's reveling in it? So that's going to be, I think, the key debate that we're going to be looking at today, because obviously Macbeth is an immoral character. It's, it's crucial to understanding the play. I think what's more interesting is to what extent is Shakespeare simply criticizing or is he or, or or are we kind of somehow complicit in Macbeth's immorality that's going to be kind of key to our our debate right today. so you're you're coming at it from two different points basically you're saying this the simple aspect of this question is is Macbeth an immoral character and the answer is, fairly, the answer is yes simply yes yeah. he is an immoral character but more interestingly does the play encourage us to view that immoral behavior in a certain way yeah and i think one bit of context i'm going to bring in a little bit today for, for ao3 is the source text for shakespeare's play um written by a historian hollinshead his chronicles because actually the real historical macbeth that hollinshead wrote about and this is where shakespeare would have got the story from actually ruled for seven, mm-hmm. 17 years in scotland um and were it not for his regicide actually hollander notes that he would have been among the most noble of the scottish kings so actually uh, 17 years of peace duncan in hollander's source is quite an ineffectual king so when we're looking at Sh- uh, macbeth's immorality actually what's crucial to understand is this is different from shakespeare's source text so shakespeare is choosing to explore evil so clearly this is a play that's about engaging with an evil man so i thought that's a useful bit of ao3 to that will lie behind we'll come back to this later on but i thought useful to set it up now it's a good idea um so obviously in a thesis the what i mean what is a thesis and why do we start an essay with a thesis thesis of course is to set out your argument right it's a it's a step up from an introduction where in an introduction you would just say, this is what my essay is going to do. Whereas a thesis sets out what an essay is going to explore. It really maps out the argument that the essay is going to make, not just the content of the essay. I mean, you could call it an introduction. It's a semantic difference. But the the thing I like to emphasise to my students is that what you want to do at the start is not introduce the text, tell me what the play is about. It's set up your argument. And that's why I think it's useful to kind of, as a reminder, to call it a thesis. So here's the thesis that I've written, and it's actually on your sheets. So 
Perhaps unsurprisingly, given it was written in the immediate wake of the trial and execution of the gunpowder plot conspirators in 1606, Shakespeare's Macbeth certainly seems an intensely moral play. Indeed, unlike his source text, the historical account of 11th century Scotland found in Hollinshead Chronicles, Shakespeare depicts regicide as a terrible crime rather than an expedient political strategy and elides historical details about the successes of Macbeth's reign to make it one defined by terror and darkness. The play thus engages with the disturbing and unnatural consequences of rejecting the moral order represented by the great chain of being, the consequences, that is, of betraying not only the monarch, but God himself. Right, so to condense that down a little bit. Yeah, should we look at some of the vocabulary before we kind of come on to that? So, So regicide, what's that, Mr Galley? The killing of a royal... Yeah, particularly a king. Yeah, so the argument here is that actually, unlike Hollinshead's Chronicles, which actually suggests that um, it's actually kind of far more problematic in terms of morality than Shakespeare, because Hollinshead shows us someone who gains a crown through immorality, but then is actually quite a good king. Shakespeare, yeah, so that's quite a complicated version of it, yeah. right? He, Shakespeare he actually this terrible act. Yeah, Shakespeare actually arguably simplifies this. He depicts regicide simply as something that's terrible. So it's not simply an expedient political strategy as it is in Hollinshead. And actually, Hollinshead points out that a lot of Scottish kings, um, you know, historically came to the throne through regicide. Instead, yeah. Shakespeare focuses on this as a crime. And so Elides means kind of misses out. So he misses out the historical details about the successes of Macbeth's reign. And he focuses instead simply on this being one defined by terror and darkness. It's a, it's a disturbing world. And I'm sure what you are going to come on to is that through this, he was making a point about something else, right? He was making a point about a different king entirely and how terrible it would be to kill that king, right? Yeah, I mean, the reason we started this um, thesis by mentioning the trial of an execution of the gunpowder plot conspirators in 1606 is because, of course, in 1605, Guy Fawkes... Um, uh, was found in the, under in the cellars underneath the House of Parliament trying to blow up um, King James I, who'd come yeah. to the throne in 1603. So this is a play that, you know, written by a member of the King's Men, you know, the, the patronage of James I is supports Shakespeare and his company. This is clearly mm-hmm. a play that that is exploring what perhaps is kind of a what if, what what if this had happened? What if the king were to be killed? What would this lead to? And How it's terrible un- it would have been yeah. if the king had been successfully killed. Yeah. It's fairly unambiguous in its depiction of the disturbing and unnatural consequences. So it clearly seems a moral play. There's a slight counter argument that we'll put at the end of the play, at the end of this essay, but it predominantly is a moral play, isn't it? And I think the last thing I mentioned there is the great chain of being, which was um, in Renaissance society. So in 16th century society and 17th century society, um, they believed in the great chain of being, which is the idea that God's at the top, God appoints the king, the king appoints his nobles, um, and all the way down right you know, through the different social classes. But the idea that this is of a, as a chain, this is not something that changes, this is something that's kind of static in society. So whereas actually what's Macbeth is doing is he's he's rejecting this. He's breaking that chain. So he's portraying that killing form. God's servant on earth, if you like. God, he's he's coming as close to killing God as it's possible to come. Right. Indeed. Yeah. He's rejecting that. And again, and what's kind of crucial here is actually that again in Hollinshead, Macbeth is Duncan's cousin. He's much closer to the line of succession than he is in Shakespeare. Whereas Shakespeare's presenting this entirely as an unnatural, evil act that's far less kind of morally ambiguous than it is in in Hollinshead. Okay, take us into the first paragraph then and what we're going to argue there. 
So generally with the extract questions, um, it's worth starting by looking at the extract. It gives you a really simple essay structure, you know, one paragraph looking at the extract, maybe two if you're a quick writer, but probably just one. And then a couple of paragraphs looking at different bits of the play that link into your overall argument. Um, but rather than just working through the extract in chronological order, it's always worth having an argument. So our, 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 um, our topic sentence is as follows. Whilst by Act 5, the eponymous figure seems very much the butcher Malcolm pronounces him to be, in the extract from Act 2, Scene 1, Shakespeare actually presents Macbeth's ambivalence towards regicide, exploring his fears about transgressing the conventional moral order of 11th century Scotland. Right, so essentially what you're saying at that point is that by the end of the play, Macbeth has indeed become this monster, this merciless killer who doesn't care if he targets children, women, um, kills the whole and family. Kills everyone, kills anyone who it will help him to kill. At this moment in the play, he's actually a character who's really torn apart by this act and is really split in two and kind of terrified by what he's about to do. Yeah, and structurally, it's a play that is filled with these soliloquies. So therefore, I think it's really important that it's a play that's inviting us into Macbeth's psyche. It's not simply presenting him as a monster we can't understand. I think what's terrifying about this play is that he's a monster that we we are invited into his head. We see yeah. this as the moments before he commits what is, would have been the, one of the worst crimes in Jacobean society. Mm. And, and yet we're in there with him. We're in his brain. We're seeing this hallucinatory dagger on stage with him. Shakespeare's inviting you to experience this terrible moment with him rather than just perhaps to stand back and judge. Yeah. It's judge a bit like Breaking Bad, if, if you've seen, seen that. You know, that we're, mm. we're invited into the mind of the evil man and we're invited to try and understand them even. Yeah, and to even question what evil perhaps is. Yeah. So I think Anyhow. to contextualise this moment, you know, Macbeth is poised in the inner court of his castle. He's sitting alone, dwelling on what he's about to do as he waits for a bell that will summon him to murder Duncan. Mm -hmm. And in this state, he hallucinates a dagger. Um, and whilst he tries to dismiss this vision as a symptom of his heat-oppressed brain, actually, it's interesting that we could see the dagger actually as this kind of manifestation, this kind of this um, this symbol um, I, I kind of put this totemic manifestation on, on the, the sheet. You know, this, this, this totem is this symbol, this vis, visual symbol of, of his own ambition. Yeah. So we can see this as representing this part of him that does want to kill the king, leading him towards the chamber. Right. Um, and we could call this a kind of a psychoanalytical reading. It's where you read a play through the kind of lens of psychoanalysis. So through the work of people like Sigmund Freud, seeing that actually the dagger here is like symbolizing his kind of repressed desires his his evil nature that he's kind of hidden within his own psyche and slightly phallic in nature although that's probably an exploration for uh, <laughs> another day another day um, but yeah. yeah so the um the point is that his his ambition is so strong that actually it manifests as this hallucinatory vision that he sees this thing in his mind yeah, because his desire his um subconscious and conscious desire is so strong it leads to this thing appearing in his mind yeah, and he says that he's come, let me clutch thee. He's got a desire to hold this. He says that um, it marshalists me the way that I was going, the idea that it's, it's taking him, it's leading him, that the, the idea that therefore there's this desire to, to follow through with what he's about to do. Yeah. And this, this actually ties in with quite a subtle illusion that people may not have noticed here. He's, he's, he compares um, kind of murderer 
a, 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 a murderer appearing with Tarquin's ravishing strides. Mm -hmm. And Tarquin is actually a, a figure, a king from Shakespeare's earlier narrative poem, The Rape of Lucrece, which shares with Macbeth a fascination with an evildoer. So it's kind of the earlier model for Macbeth because Tarquin is this evil king mm -hmm. and we're invited into his head in this in this poem. So here it's the, this kind of allusion, therefore, is a hint to kind of people that are familiar with Shakespeare's wider canon that, of what this play is about. It's about exploring a monster. It's exploring the mind of a monster. Okay. Um, it's about getting understanding what makes someone evil. What makes someone tick in the most horrible ways. Right. Good. Let's uh, let's pick up the pace slightly because I've just noticed we are. Uh... Yeah. 15 minutes in and probably losing our listeners right. by the moment <laughs> sorry so and the other quick point is that it's like it's a, a mm. top tip for the exam is always that you want a counter argument you want to evaluate the different points that you make so the, the simple counter argument here is that the dagger could equally be seen as a sign of the witch's magic as the the sign of his powerlessness in the face of the supernatural leading mm. him towards murder so actually rather than simply being seen as a sign of his immorality it could actually be a sign of the witch's immorality the, their magic taking him towards the bedchamber that he is a tool a pawn in the game of chaos rather than someone yeah. who's bringing that chaos and we see this in the imagery the idea of the of nature being dead of the night being defined by wicked dreams the imagery of, yeah. of, of hecate the goddess of witchcraft and the idea of Duncan as one of her sacrificial offerings. All of this seems to set up Macbeth as someone lacking agency. The regicide not as being an expression of his will, but as something perhaps preordained by the witches. So in very, very short summary, first paragraph, we're kind of saying that what we see, unlike the end of the play where you see a brutal, murderous tyrant of a man, you're seeing someone who's torn in two. And actually, you're perhaps being asked a question by Shakespeare. Is this purely Macbeth's desire? Is it his selfish terrible desire that we're seeing or are we seeing a man who's been manipulated by forces yeah. greater than himself very much so and i think the final kind of thing to kind of mention with this extract is obviously all this imagery of blood which picks up which is an incredibly important motif in the play there's 40 references to blood throughout the play and the okay. blood comes to, it comes to yeah it comes to symbolize the guilt of macbeth and his wife you know as they attempt to wash their wash themselves of their immoral deeds so this is a really important moment because it sets up this motif that becomes so crucial as a kind of an emblem of their guilt fantastic all right paragraph two where are we going so I feel now we want to explore some of these ideas a little bit further. So I think one thing to complicate this idea about morality is that it's not just um, Macbeth that rejects this order. So if we read the topic sentence, it is not just Macbeth who chooses to reject the Christian moral order of 11th century Scotland, as even from Act 1, Lady Macbeth is presented as deliberately choosing to align herself with the evil power of the witches. So this is complicating yeah. arguments. It's not simply uh, uh, this kind of binary in the play between Macbeth is evil, everyone else is good. Actually, what we're seeing here is that Lady Macbeth is just as evil as her husband. So there's when morality is shown as being something or immorality is uh, shown as something that is shared between the characters, not that there's one baddie. Uh, yeah. And, uh, you know, one, one evil character, but actually there's a, there's a host of evil that different characters are part of. Yeah. So I mean, this is actually picking up on some points from our previous podcast on Lady Macbeth. Yep. So this is an example of where you can reuse points across different essays. You can you, you, you don't have to entirely come up with fresh material every single time. So the point we made in that previous podcast is that when she first appears on stage in Act 1, Scene 5, Shakespeare aligns her with the with the witches who are uh, kind of androgynous. That means they look both male and female because Banquo notes they have beards. Yeah. Um, she actually, her first appearance on stage, she calls upon devils to unsex her and to come to my woman's breast and take my milk for gall. 
Um, this is kind of like an invert, you know, milk is the ultimate symbol, isn't it, of kind of, of femininity, motherhood. of life, motherhood, of life giving. Um, and, and this kind of life giving breast is giving out instead this bitter poison. So it almost seems evocative of, of Lady Macbeth being like a witch suckling familiar spirits or something. There's something really disturbing about this image that, that aligns her with the witches quite effectively, I think. Yeah, that's uh, that's very effective. And we then see, I suppose, that again, there's an alignment between evil, immorality, and this world of the supernatural and this world of the witches, of chaos. And again, Shakespeare seems to be showing us that this is why you shouldn't mess with the king, because the king, who gives Shakespeare a load of money, coincidentally, is the person <laughs> who keeps the lid on all of this devilishness, is the person who keeps the lid on all of this chaos yeah. and horror that can spill out. And Shakespeare's showing what happens when the structures of society break down, when the great chain of being breaks down, but also here when um, established gender roles break down, when Macbeth becomes, takes on these tropes of masculinity. So it's quite a conservative message, really, that he's putting across yes. in his play. Yeah, seemingly. And we'll come, there's a slight counter-argument we'll mention at the end in our conclusion, but seemingly so. So again, unlike Hollinshead, um, who, where Macbeth's simply an ambitious woman, um, actually, this takes it far further. She's aligned with evil. We see this even more in Act One, Scene Seven, when she talks about dashing the brains out of a of a of a um, you know of her own baby if she had a child, mm -hmm. which again seems evocative of the witches who throw the finger of a birth strangled babe into their cauldron. You know, there's a suggestion that both um, her and the witches are re are rejecting this role of motherhood in order to become evil, in order to become immoral. Yeah. So, she's the one obviously arguably who also like you know manipulates Macbeth to kill the king she's the one that pours her spirits in in his ear who says look like the innocent flower be the serpent under it that imagery of kind of the serpent in the garden of evil garden of Eden um you know there's certainly there's this sense isn't there of, of Lady Macbeth as this 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 evil this figure bring, this immoral. enabler of evil this person who um opens the door for these terrible things to happen. Fantastic. Shall we move on to your third thesis statement? Then? Ooh, well, I think, I mean, I guess before, just to finish off that paragraph, it's always worth evaluating this, which is actually there is a counter argument that she's driven mad by guilt. So while she seems evil, she seems the embodiment of evil, actually, she ends up, you know, being driven mad, sleepwalking, and ultimately, you know, throwing herself off a tower, perhaps even committing suicide mm. out, out of guilt. Right. So there is a, there is an irony, therefore, in this idea that she wants to be evil. That actually, there's a sense perhaps she isn't. As uh, there, there is that the, there are consequences even for someone like Lady Macbeth. Mm. She tries to call upon the power of the devil, but actually, she can't escape her conscience. And perhaps the point then being that if you throw your lot in with immorality, if you choose the path of evil, maybe that evil will abandon you once it's got what it needs out of you. You know, if you play this game yeah. where you engage with this supernatural devilish business, once that supernatural devilish business has got what it needs from you, then you're on your own, basically. And that leads us nicely to our final point. I thought so. In paragraph three, which is <laughs> the idea that actually like a medieval morality play, so these were plays with clear didactic messages that were very popular before Shakespeare's time. Shakespeare ultimately presents the ephemeral nature of, it, of, of power won through immoral actions, actually demonstrating the strength of good in the face of evil. Right. And the most important point here, I think, is structurally, that actually, unlike Hollinshead, where Macbeth reigns for 17 peaceful years, he's actually a very successful king, despite his murders of Banquo and um, Duncan, which do appear in the source text. Mm. In, in our play, it's incredibly claustrophobic. 
because Achimobeth never seems to leave his castle after the murder of the king. He sends out murderers to kill Banquo and Fleance and the family of Macduff. He's, he's inside the walls when Malcolm's forces approach. We never see him outside the castle um, uh, after he's killed the king. There's a sense of this, as the porter notes, the castle is almost transformed into the hell in which he's kind of punished, trapped for his unnatural actions. Right. It's got an interesting kind of symbolic note. And actually, for those who did OCR last year, their question was on the porter. How funny is that? Mm, well, <laughs> Such a difficult horrible, question. Horrible business. Yeah. yeah. Funny for us, I guess. Not funny if you're in that exam. No. But yeah, like yeah, the, the porter says the castle is hell, and actually structurally, the play the play kind of suggests this, doesn't it? They're, 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 there's this claustrophobia in in the play that it doesn't escape. So actually, they create um, their own hell essentially. And even yeah. in the in the play version, do does the final battle, uh, the the eventual slaying of Macbeth by. Um, uh, Macduff. That happens within the castle walls, doesn't it? Yeah, it's all in the castle. So um, some productions and some kind of uh, film versions change that, but actually in the play, it, it happens, happens within, within the castle. It's it does. Uh, for those of you, I think it was the 2014 version, um, 2015 15. version. That battle is insanely well shot. I think you know when it's kind of the the fire is outside of the. Um, everything's ablaze basically and there's this amazing kind of orange glow everywhere that the the fighters are coming in and out of and i think uh, completely irrelevant to our, uh, to our listeners but i think it's, it's a not beautiful not scene because actually a, a lovely a lovely ao3 point you can make is is talking about productions or films that you've yeah. seen and actually there certainly that idea of it all being lit by fire builds upon this sense of the cast as yeah. hell this place that is defined by fire um you know it's it's a lovely kind of idea that you could certainly yeah. bring in. I think this the other kind of motif we want to pick up on is the motif of sleep, because obviously this becomes kind of a a symbol of guilt in the play. Duncan is killed while sleeping. Macbeth tells his wife that he thought he heard a voice saying "Sleep no more." Macbeth does murder sleep. Um, uh, you know the idea that actually killing Mac, 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 killing Duncan, sorry, is actually to kill sleep itself. It's quite an interesting mm, idea. Something certainly something that and then can of be course, explored more. And then obviously Lady Macbeth says to her husband um, when he's just seen the ghost of Banquo that you lack the season of all nature, sleep. And then she herself is pushed to madness, sleepwalking in the castle. There's a sense that actually Macbeth and his wife will sleep no more as uh, for what they've done. The sense, again, of them being punished, of, of, of this being, a, of actually them not being able to escape the immoral actions that they've done. So if we can wrap the essay up, there's there's more on your fantastic handout that I would encourage our students to um, to take a good look at. But basically what we've said is we've started off by talking about that um, at the, with the extract, Macbeth is actually presented as this character who's struggling with morality, who's still fighting against his evil instincts and perhaps is a kind of to some extent a victim of the ideas of others like the witches then we bring in lady macbeth and we say well here's another character who has quite an interesting relationship with him or, or immorality because she seems to be the person who encourages puts herself in line with the witches but eventually becomes a victim of her own actions and and eventually takes her own life and then finally we look at the motif of the castle and how it's almost as if through immoral actions Shakespeare's suggesting that you can create your own prison create your own hell as it yeah. as it might be lovely and I think the only part to, to 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 save for our conclusion I often like to have one final point um kept behind for my conclusion that final flourish yeah a little cheeky afterthought for the examiner um mm -hmm. which is that actually for a play that's fundamentally concerned with the psychology of evil um, 
um, with the consequence of rejecting the laws of God and man. Actually, what's quite interesting is that when Malcolm says that Macbeth's simply a butcher and his wife's a fiend-like queen, what's perhaps inadequate about this is that it's a play that where we we've been invited into Macbeth's head. You know, it's, the, it's one of Shakespeare's plays with the most soliloquies, which is worth noting, of any of his plays. And so actually for a play that's about evil, we're actually invited to look at, you know, to look right into the heart of evil and see what it is, and perhaps even invited to kind of revel in it. So mm. for a, a play that seems so moral, that has a, a seemingly unambiguous moral message, it's certainly interesting. That, There's a slight voyeuristic element to it as yeah. well. You might actually be enjoying your proximity, your closeness to the yeah. evil deeds. Enjoying something that we perhaps wouldn't choose to do ourselves. Fantastic. Okay, we are 27 minutes in, so we should probably wrap this up. Um, thank you very much for joining us. As ever, the handout, which I hope you have already downloaded, but if you haven't, is in the bio of this um, episode on your podcast app, or you can be accessed through our website, which is englishrevisionpod.co.uk, where you can find all our podcasts, all our handouts to go with them. On Twitter, we are at grevisionpod, so please give us a follow because we will use that to let you know when new episodes are coming out. And uh, anything else you want to add, Mr. Forster? No, um, have a happy new year. Happy new year, and we will see you soon on English Revision Pod.